welcome to One of Two Hundred, the independent politics and media podcast. I'm joined this evening by co-host Rusty. Welcome uh, back onto the cast. Hello, hello. And our Australian correspondent for One of Two Hundred, Joe Numwick. Welcome along. Good to have you back. Thank you. Good to be back. So we'll give them the game away. Uh, we've got our Australian correspondent on where we had to talk about the Australian election. Um, only announced uh, that it's coming up in May a, a few weeks ago now. And I think both major parties are uh, kind of struggling to get into campaign mode. It's just kind of been gaff after gaff from, from both sides um, with the media trying to paint it as if there's some kind of competition here. Some of the brightest moments maybe that I've seen uh, on, on Twitter um, or on social media outside the, the mainstream have been from Adam Bant, who's uh, um, heading the Greens. Um, but, yeah, how is it feeling from within uh, the Australian state? Well, it's interesting you mentioned the gaps and Adam Bant because did you see the video of Adam Bant being... Um, questioned about an exact cash rate figure and just going off yeah that actually fucking rules <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i sort of feel like there is this weird a weird codification of like journalistic rules around election time and just generally saying you must you must catch politicians out on this trivia um you know i think it's one of the worst and most corrosive things to kind of happen in campaigning probably in the Anglosphere, it might happen elsewhere in, in the last however many years, because it's, you know, it's not, it's not useful in terms of sort of big ideas um, and information. And um, it sets this narrative that's actually, you know, nothing, nothing to do with what the parties are trying to say, um, apart from whether or not they're in this general sense, in touch with the common man, as if, people on the street can recite the unemployment rate or the OCR rate most of the time. And that was the one that got me about, you know, oh, what's the OCR rate or what's this particular unemployment rate? It's like, yeah, this is relatable human material. It's not like what's the price of a kilo of cheese, which um, caught Collins out over here. It's these, yeah, abstruse figures that, um, you know, again, you can Google it, right? Isn't that what he said? Yeah. Even even the OCR stuff is kind of, look, it's kind of loaded for me because insofar as people are ordinary people who are watching it like a hawk, they might be you know, people who are very involved in the housing market, that is to say, boomers, boomers and investors. Um, so it's, you know, a bigger concern um, to them than, I suppose, what median rents are in inner city Melbourne right now, or inner city Sydney or Brisbane. So, so too, the unemployment rate shows a little bit of kind of I take everything at face valueness. That the I mean, this is this is not news to either of you. The underemployment rate um, can inform you a lot more about the actual state of affairs or the number of people having to take up secondary employment um, to make up the equivalent of a full paycheck or meet cost of living. To be like, ah, do you know this or not? Will that affect your knowledge? Is not useful. Um, unfortunately, Albanese had the first of these. I think it was, it was, oh, God, here's my gap. I think it was the unemployment rate that he just kind of drew a freeze or a blank on. Um, and then the whole thing was about how he was, you know, not fit to, to govern um, and was fine as an opposition attack dog, um, but wasn't ready for the real business of government, which is knowing statistics. Mm. I think, um, you know, what, what you both said there kind of gives the, the light of the intent of, of these media types who are, who are doing the stand-ups. Um, and I, I think in that particular case, uh, to Adam Bant, this journalist, reeled off this, um, this is more of a statement than a question, uh, kind of set piece, and then ended it with, oh, and also, can you tell me um, this very specific mm. figure? But... It was. It was right at the end of it, um, and it was sort of justifiably rinsed because it was. It was. Oh yeah, sorry. It wasn't. It wasn't the OCR rate. It was the wage price index, um, which so, is even more ridiculous. Um, and, 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 and again, this is an interesting one in that. Um, no, uh, how many people know what the wage price index is as ordinary voters? Um, it was an. It was an AFR correspondent. So I mean, they've got a businessier. Um, 
audience, but it's it's um, you know not knowing the WPI um, does not show that you lack the common touch. I mean, this this was clearly being sort of foisted around to show that um, the Greens aren't ready to sit in the boardroom and hash out uh, you know their supposed just transition away from fossil fuels because they they can't name the WPI when when stopped. Who wants to be a millionaire style? Yeah. And this is the thing, like, even if they, the, the intent isn't to find out whether they can give the answer or not a lot of the time, it is to get a, a party leader or, or like a senior MP or, um, you know, a potential MP on camera going, but up, but up, but up, but up, but up, but up, up. So they can use that exactly. as like a hatch, right? Like, um, like put it in their ads. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's great as a lineup, but then it's it's sort of stupid as well because whoever does it, um, and look, I don't whether whether it was Morrison who looked like a goose in um, the first the first day of a campaign or Albanese, you would have some sort of um, freeze sort of soundbite or anti soundbite with like a dramatic chord and a zoom in grayscale on his face for the opposing party's ads. So you're basically doing, you're doing people's political campaign work for them for free. But why it, why it, as it, a journalist would you sign up to do that in either direction? But I think that's the thing, is that it it's kind of this competence, this kind of contentless competency framing, right? Of, well, you know, do you or don't you know the facts and figures that can then be fed into that horse race nar narrative and used as kind of, yeah, fodder for opposition attack ads, where if your interest is in um, framing this as a, a sporting contest, that's the kind of content you can create without having to go into any substantive issue where a certain line of questioning might lead to accusations of bias, which is, you know, the worst thing you can possibly do as a journalist to, to ask about something of substance. And interestingly, the Bent thing, um, you know, again, again, you know, the Greens will probably not hold the balance of power in the election, but it seems to have had a chastening effect where um, at least that line of, well, hey, can you, um, can you do lightning round has sort of abated. Um, there is less of that. Um, and even though there's a little bit of, oh, well, what about this? Um, did you know this person said X? Um, were you aware of that? Uh, at, at least it's more, more connected to the, the, the topics on, on, which, are, which are on point. So, you know, rather than suddenly tangentially being asked the wage, the wage price index, you'll face a sustained line of questioning about what um, your position as the government was on Pacific security or aid in the months and years leading up to 2022. So at least it's better than a gotcha. Bent, Bent has done, I mean, politicians a favour by, you know, coming up with the, the pat line answer to, to stupid questions. But honestly, journalists who do want to ask genuine questions a favour as well that like, all right, well, this stuff's off the, the checklist. Um, so you can ask yeah, something at least vaguely closer to um, something of substance. Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty it's pretty sort of frustrating in terms of um, how tough it is to find that substance. Yeah, well, let's um let's go back a bit over the context of of where this election um, kind of enters Australian politics because you know Scott Morrison has has lasted better than oh he's, he's one of the longest serving yeah it's finances. incredible oh, I'm trying to think he will he will have I believe I believe he will have beaten. Gillard and Rudd. So uh, he, he, he may now be. I'm, I'm sorry again. Don't, don't quote me on, on on these parts. But he, he may have, he may now be our longest serving prime minister since Howard. Yeah, I think that is he's, actually correct. He's the first one to see out a full term. I think maybe if you add Rudd's various bits and pieces along <laughs> the way together, you can add it up to more. But mm -hmm. yeah, the this kind of you know um, default candidate that they picked up on because no one wanted. Dutton. Was it? Dutton. I was about to say Joyce, but wrong one. Yeah. Um, no one wanted Dutton. It's turned out to um, to have survived. I mean, this is interesting, though. Like, this this is, I think Morrison would like to flatter himself and say, um, you know, he found himself in a difficult tug of war for the heart and soul of the Liberal Party. Cometh the man, cometh the hour, a sort of Menzies or Howard figure. 
who sort of manages to navigate a sensible middle course between Turnbull's effete cosmopolitanism and Dutton being um, a little bit too much of a dog whistler. What, what, what's interesting about, about Morrison is, um, you know, how assiduously he's managed to kind of navigate and put himself in this prime position in a way that, you know, I, I, I didn't register when I moved here to Australia as a, as a fresh emigre either. There was a really good quarterly essay. Um, that's, a, that's a publication um, that comes out about uh, four times a year here as quarterly essay, as the name would suggest. Um, where they will get an Australian writer to talk about a particular topic. A recent really good one um, was by a Queensland writer called Lech Blaine, and it was about Morrison's um, very calculated embrace of Larrikinism in the Australian tradition. Um, you know, he's probably the first person really to kind of nail that since, um, since Bob Hawke in terms of seeing, seeming like he's the ordinary bloke who stumbled into it um, and loves a pint at the pub. But just how incredibly sort of prefigured and manufactured and contrived, firstly, that concept's always been in Australia, but also how well he's done it. Um, you know, a case in point is he was, um, you know, private school educated. He was the son of a top cot, cop in, um, in the sort of southern suburbs of Sydney. Um, and I, I think we know, like, that there's a suggestion that cops are like, nurses or teachers or something and they're kind of in the sort of precipitous middle class but they've been on a pretty good wicket for a long time especially if you're senior um so you've kind of you've kind of made it into the upper middle class if you manage to be a top cops child did that private school raised loved rugby union like the rest of them um sometime around about 2016 was incidentally is when the cronulla sharks who um are associated with his electorate of sydney won their first grand final ever after decades. Um, Scott Morrison reinvented himself as ScoMo, the rugby league loving buffhead with a heart of gold. And, you know, be began to do this sort of daggy dad, like polo shirts, sports and pints thing um, in a way that to, you know, in fairness to Anthony Albanese, who had affectionately been known as Albo through no attempt to manufacture it of his own, was kind of stealing a lot of a lot of what had been associated with with Albanese before, and that Albanese grew up in council housing, um, you know, new new genuine poverty. Um, was a great supporter of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Loved his rugby league. Saw the heartbreak of his team drop out and be disbanded, and then be sort of repurchased and readmitted to the NRL. And um, you know, the Lech Blaine thing is not. Um, it's not necessarily sympathetic to the ALP or Albanese, but they do interview him and it conveys the frustration of being a guy who's just loved rugby league all your life and then suddenly a guy retrospectively invents an identity for himself on the other side as the relatable rugby league fan and you're just seething, not knowing where to start explaining it. How much has the media played a part in Australia uh, in propping up and propagating uh, that identity for Scott Morrison because, you know, we get a lot of, uh, I don't even know what to call it, um, crying, whinging, weeping, gnashing of teeth about uh, the Murdoch media. And we know, it, we know it's fucked. We know it's, like, not a good time um, and that the media in both Australia and, and the UK are, uh, and in the US are, are on a pretty bad spot. Uh, but how much has, has it had a direct impact on Morrison being able to stick some of that stuff? I reckon he's managed to stick the landing in the sense that, I mean, like News Limited, we kind of know what they stand for. We know the editorial slant and stuff, but um, I know it's pretty, it's pretty bracing here. Like, I'm, I'm in Melbourne and the two, the two main papers are The Age and The Herald Sun. Um, you know, The, the Age kind of has like, um, a, a Dom Post kind of stuff like approach of, um, you know, they're not they're not like a, a leftist periodical or anything like that. But you you would say that they are there. There are a combination of things going on and and views and voices being articulated. Even if you would say that sometimes they they do some stuff that's either inept or offensive, um, but they don't have a kind of true like unbridled agenda at the heart of it. 
News Limited and the Herald Sun are just everywhere to the point that, um, you know, I, I work out in Werribee, which is an outer western suburb, um, I guess analogous to um, what it would look like working out in sort of furthest Massey or right out um, in Flatbush or something like that. Um, and the Herald Sun just carpets the cafes when you go onto them for a coffee in the morning um, or grab Smoko or something. They just litter it everywhere. And it has this sort of um, ordinary person, you know, lads and larrikin, and like, you know, punters intrigue, um, you know, like basically it is, it is, it's like, it's like the UK model of being effective, relatable and engaging scandal. And then you have the Australian, which is that big Wall Street Journal publication of the real ideological hectic shit. And then you have this um, harmless paper that wants to be like tough on crime and loves sport. Um, and loves kind of real and relatable blokes. And those sort of things have been really useful for Morrison in terms of being um, the proxies by which he is an ordinary guy throwing largesse and relief on people through consecutive crises. Yeah, I was going to come to that next. Is there have been a number of, um, for New Zealand listeners and, and maybe some Australian listeners, maybe won't like this uh, comparison, but similar to Ardern in New Zealand, Morrison has weathered several very large crises in Australia and arguably at times has done more for the Australian worker than Ardern has done for the New Zealand worker here. Yeah, I remember there was this really, there was this great Australian troll wind-up where someone was posting um, Ardern versus Morrison um, when the full job keeper supplement um, and job seeker supplement was in place during COVID. Um, for New Zealand listeners, job keeper was what we we put in place um, as COVID support for struggling businesses. Um, job seeker is analogous to the the standard unemployment benefit in in New Zealand. Both were raised above the poverty line for the people who needed them. Morrison, inadvertently or otherwise, possibly because they were needing a broad brush in an absolute crisis, cured poverty for the first time in generations in Australia and then abruptly pulled out the carpet less than 12 months later from doing so. But, yeah, I remember the time someone was trolling saying Scott Morrison is the greatest leftist leader in this in the Southern Hemisphere, <laughs> much better than Ardern. And, and you know, I, th- I think it was probably... It was probably something which you know has has made this election a tighter contest now than it would be if Morrison and the Liberal Party had generally stuck to their principles. They would have provided support to the gainfully employed, basically as a way of propping up businesses, which is kind of what JobKeeper was. And what's what happened in New Zealand? It's exactly what the wage subsidy was. Yeah, and they would have they would have gone tough shit to um, people who had been unemployed at that point. I should also note, um, not that it mattered to me in terms of um, my employment at the time um, or retrospectively, but um, it was extended to New Zealand citizens living and working in Australia, um, which you know uh, would have it would have been a mass exodus. Like uh, a number of my friends did have to go anyway, um, but like everyone I know from New Zealand may well have left and come back to Australia had that not been the case. Um, but yeah, just just um, I, I will I will note that the rise by like twenty five dollars was twenty five dollars a fortnight or a week that um, the Ardern government rose the unemployment. Benefits. It was twenty. Twenty. Um, sorry. Yeah, and that was permanent. Uh, yeah, that was permanent. Um, yeah. With another increase has has just passed from around April first. Yeah, um, but um, what that that was still. It was still well under poverty. It was, it was well under what happened in Australia. I still, I, I would love to know that I would have liked to be a fly on the wall to understand what happened with the remarkable rise in in job seeker um, with the COVID supplement um, and the extent to which it kept people well, safe, and protected during 2020. And I know that people have not subsequently be kept, been kept well and safe on large in Aotearoa or Australia, 
Um, but in 2020, none of us were vaccinated. So the repercussions would have probably been even more horrific. Yeah. And when you say it's, it's closer, you mean Labour would have uh, had a stronger showing? Even I, I, more I think, so? I think, I think if there was an American-style, we'll send you out a couple of checks in the mail um, who gives a shit approach, um, kind, of, kind of like the way, I mean, I think... I didn't live in the States, but I felt like probably what helped Biden get a very convincing win over Trump in 2020 on, on the numbers was probably the fact that people you know, overall did not really feel like Trump's government had been there for them, which is a reality of the American social security system. Um, but I think people are punished for their lack of care during an absolute paralyzing crisis like that. There, there, there are probably people who you know think um, Morrison's government Either, either did right by them if they were kind of precarious um, or kind of, I, I would say, soft conservatives who just think, well, Morrison showed he cared in our darkest hour. Therefore, I'm sure they're not so bad despite everything else I kind of hear to the contrary. And on the back of that, you know, I, I think Scott Morrison's popularity was, was relatively high as far as such things go in Australia uh, during yeah. that period. But... Following that, he's, he's just kind of been hit by, well, he hasn't somehow. Um, but scandal after scandal has happened to people in and around him. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of been weathering it by kind of saying, just, just kind of outright saying it's been handled, ignoring it or, or referring back to Jenny. Oh, Mar- Morrison, is, Morrison is simply not interested in um, kind of upfront discussions about things. And there's something kind of confronting about that. Like, I'm 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 used to politicians being well trained to be uh, evasive, um, but there is a, a sort of lack of patience for engagement with journalists, which is really really striking um, in terms of his kind of um, his, his unwillingness to be questioned, to be pushed, um, or to receive blame for stuff. I think I think one of the most important things to note. Um, is that um, you know Morrison's a Pentecostal Christian. I don't think he is a Pentecostal Christian in the sense that he's you know doing doing lines and partying every time the camera's not on him. I, I think he you know genuinely the most stilted thing about it is the idea that he's kind of constantly having pints at the pub with, with the lads when I doubt he's ever finished an entire beer in his life. He is sort of fastidiously a true believer. Um, but he's surrounded by you know, opportunistic private school boys um, who have, um, you know, in, in two various ways, taken a total disinterest in the mechanisms of their work. I'm thinking here of, of Richard Colbeck, the aged care minister, um, and the way that, that COVID just rampaged through um, rest homes in Australia, not once but twice, obviously first um, during the 2020 outbreaks, and then again once we removed our last vestiges of protections and let Omicron rip. So a complete lack of interest or accountability um, in the structures and mechanisms that expose people to risk. You know, the, the nature of, of robo-debt by, by which um, uh, thousands of, of Centrelink government benefit recipients were told that they had algorithmically or systemically automatically calculated debts that they must pay back running into the tens of thousands was similar. Um, and the way that the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme here, simply does not function in a fit-for-purpose way for a lot of people is the same sort of approach. And so that, and, that, and that's just touching on the things which are very sort of structural and mechanical and the, the lack of kind of curiosity and the willingness to address them. The other aspect, of course, which has like made a lot of column inches and created really debates, is the fact that he is surrounded by a bunch of middle-aged men who are domineering, violent, threatening, um, and abusive to their partners or former partners while trying to put on the show of being a family man. And yet despite this, it seems to have been just incredibly difficult for Labour and Albanese to just get any foothold. Well, I I think what's been suggested is that Albanese, first of of all, with the the COVID stuff, it it was not a I mean, New Zealand, it was the same thing. It was not a great time mm. to be in opposition when someone is, is being a strong hand on the till 
and increasing all of this largesse that was previously inconceivable in terms of juicing the remnants of the welfare state to actually offer people support. There's um, finally a, a call for government to functionally do something. That's right. And, and you, saw the, you saw the same thing when Bridget, when Bridges, um, and to a lesser extent, Collins tried to have big socks about this sort of stuff. It did mm. not play well for them. Um, mm. And so Albani people, yeah. Albanese and the Australian Labor Party's approach was to effectively try to be non-entities um, and hopefully wait for the party to be over, which inevitably the, the party it's, was going to be over. It seems like it's kind of worked. <laughs> oh, for, for, for sure. Um, I guess the, the sort of thing, though, is that... Um, I mean, for, for, firstly, I should note that it's not as if the Liberal and National Parties of Australia and Coalition um, have this kind of modus operandi of being unsafe places to work in unsafe spaces and the Australian Labor Party um, is full of burly um, unionists of all genders respecting each other's spaces and bodies. Uh, I, I, I think there is a there's probably a reticence um, on the part of the opposition to truly kind of get stuck in and say, um, no, we have no skeletons in our closet. So that's why there's probably been a, a bit of a softly, softly approach on this sort of stuff, apart from, you know, various election promises to you know act on commission's findings to to create um sort of more um windfall gains for for, for women and ending gender-based violence um but there has been what what's been described here on the media as a small target approach by albanese which is very much fair to say um there is not some sort of kind of green new deal um there is not a um, clear indication about how um, Medicare or health would be reformed to, to more squarely equip the public sector. There is a suggestion that Morrison's government attack unions too much, but not about how um, a Albanese government would transformatively empower unions and improve these um, the current fair work laws that we have. Mm. So, so it kind of sounds like that, you know, how long's the uh, coalition government been in since 2000 and... It, it, it's, it's, had a, it's had a key style run. It's been since 20, 2013. Yeah. It will have had a, um, it will have had its nine years in government, despite mm. considerably more, more turmoil. Um, mm. And having two ex-prime ministers during that time who are continually self-promoting themselves by attacking the current le leadership <laughs> from its left and from its right. Yeah, and so the effectively the, the small target approach is coming from a place of eventually people are just going to get sick of the the current administration and well, it's, it's time it's for a change. It's also coming from the fact that Bill Shorten lost last time um, mm. in an election that look I was I was here in twenty nineteen, um, and the the feeling was um, what a dysfunctional government. Morrison's just been installed after a disastrous coup in the party. If the, the government will change on election night. Um, and it was another one of those kind of um, Trump-style body blows um, to, to people expecting a change where you realise that things don't work um, like how you, how you um, thought they worked. Um, so, so Shorten, um, and whether it was Shorten himself or whether it was kind of a, a group of people around him, the, the amount of policy reforms were dense technical um, and we're planning to address some of the um, you know, ridiculous loopholes that put Australia in a similar situation to New Zealand where yes Australia has a capital gains tax um, but there are plenty of workarounds to basically hoard intergenerational wealth. Um, Albanese was amongst other things, oh, sorry Shorten amongst other things was um, suggesting that some of those would be dismantled or changed. When that was done, it would usually be given to adoring age and Australian Financial Review and ABC reporters as evidence that the adults were in the room and they were talking about these things in detail. What it translated to for the, for the position of, um, of Morrison government attack campaign positions were sort of pixelated JPEGs on Facebook of skeletons saying that Bill Shorten wanted to give you a death tax, um, which, you know, resonated very strongly with swing seats in New South Wales and Victoria and Queensland. And dead people. Oh, yeah. Well, pe people, like, you know, 
65, 65 year old people are very frightened by pixelated skeletons um, saying that their investment properties are going to be kaput, which I, I imagine would not have been the case. But even these sort of dense ideas, no, they, they were not going to trickle down. And Bill Shorten was not the kind of person to relay them either. In that he was, um, he, he he is a dry he is a dry figure of factional Victorian Labour politics, and was painted as such. I I, I I can't explain the faction stuff here any more than I can explain the full process of provincial preferential voting for a Senate. <laughs> um, suffice to say that um, as a person who is not unsympathetic to some idea of a modern Labour Party, um, you know, I find it completely mortifying that all of these weird unions and factions operate um, incoherently and basically provide a, a, a fulcrum for people who don't believe in anything to advance themselves. <laughs> and how, how much is that? So you brought up the, the um, you know, that um, polling shock that happened um, in, in 2015. How much of that is kind of lurking in the background in terms of the, the mood that, yes, there's a modest but not overwhelming majority for, for Labour at the moment in, in terms of polling, but the perception of whether that's real or not. Yeah, of course. Um, I, it's about I think seven I, to ten points at the moment, I think, uh, between yeah, the two it's, parties. Yeah, it's, it's around about, so there's the two-party preferred basis, um, which, you know, to explain very quickly is is where your first to second preferences will go. And a lot of it is, is based on sort of suppositions like, you know, if you're, if you're voting for Greens and the full knowledge that the Greens are probably not going to win the seat you're voting for, it's more likely to be Labour than Liberals who get it after that. Similarly, with if you're voting One Nation in a seat, a little bit more sort of unsure, but probably the Liberals. Um, so your two-party preferred um, tends to show a much bigger gap than just like primary voting preference. But that's been a gap of about 10 points um, for a considerable amount of time. Um, I think people have a once bitten, twice twice shy. Similarly to 20, 2020, um, you know, people... I think most sensible people were not taking a commanding lead by Biden over Trump in polls as an assumption mm -hmm. that Trump would win, would lose the 2020 election. Um, with this, I guess there's the sort of aspect that what what the polling leaders is not the same as what happens in seats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you will need a certain number of lower house seats to be able to accomplish anything. Um, more so, I think, than New Zealand under MMP um, because of the bicameral system, you must flip lower house seats, um, which inevitably means that you are not speaking to, you're not, you're not, not speaking to the, the, the poorest suburbs in Melbourne, for example, where I work, or the, 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 the very kind of like nice groovy little laneway inner seats, which are a Labour versus Greens kind of just about. You're speaking to these places, which are, I guess, I guess they use the term mortgage about here, but mortgage mm. about might make a little bit of sense still when you think of seats like Hamilton um, mm. and out of West Auckland in New Zealand, the places where people are probably um, on a good wicket financially, but it's it's, it's shaky because of cost. Of it's precarious. It's precarious. It's you, you're, um, you know. Yeah, and 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 again, I really don't want to get into any of the culture war stuff because I, I think it's a big. Um, you know, it's a work of fiction, but you have people who have done really well for themselves in trades um, and stuff like that, and they are not that that they're not kind of talking about politics every night at the table. Um, and if they feel like people are weird, disconnected losers um, who are campaigning for their vote, they'll probably vote accordingly. Mm. So I think we've got what, when is election day? The twenty second. Let me just check. I am, I am literally. That's a number I, I should have like, looked I'm up beforehand. I am in Ken, Ken's in Queensland for for work on the week of the election, and I will be back on Saturday, twenty first. I can't vote. Um, I should have made that very clear at the top of the sorry, but I, I am the one true kind of centrist voice of reason. No, perfect. In that's exactly what we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll just edit that and put it at the start. Um, but I, I I don't I don't want to I don't want to be in Cairns on on an election night. Um, I believe it is a um, uh, liberal um, national party seat right now federally, um, and I think it's held. 
I think it's held by Labour in Queensland right now, but the area where Cairns falls otherwise is um, is is held by the coalition. Um, you know, I don't I don't I don't want to be there celebrating stuff. I want to be I want to be back in my I, I want to be back in my like you know very safe glowing red in a North Melbourne seat of commiseration for if the worst goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's the twenty first um, is the is the day. So yeah, you'll have the results around the twenty second. Um, well, we may have them even sooner if the election is. Um, so on the on, on the twenty in the twenty nineteen election, um, I just kind of you know, ignored um, stuff on the day because there's there's a lot of empty talking until the votes are in. And I went around to my mate's Tim, my mate Tim's place at about seven forty five, and everyone was already crestfallen because they'd all but called the election for right. the election. just on exit polls. Just well on exit polls, but also on um, you know the the way that the seats had fallen, it just you know, couldn't possibly. Once they had like strong results in favour of Scott Morrison coming in in some, um, you're only left with waiting to count very safe seats either way. So right, so we've got just um, just under a month uh, left in the campaign. Do you think it's going to stabilise? Do you think they're going to find their feet both? Morrison and Albanese, or are they going to keep floundering around? Well, what what is on the table? Morrison does. Morrison and the and the government do two things. First, have you noticed that Morrison just does a million things in his photo ops? Do they get over there? Uh, I've seen him like at the oven, um, hanging out in a suit. Um, the ukulele. He looks like he's on work experience all the time. So <laughs> he um he will be cutting someone's hair. He'll be and welding without personal protective equipment. Um, he'll be, God, what else? Um, he'll be like wearing a hard hat. He'll be. We photoshopped. Or, oh, no, they're not. I mean, he, he's, he's, not, he's not doing anything, these things competently enough for them to be anything but not photoshopped. But it's this weird sort of thing. And I, I just assume that someone with a huge amount of insight has looked into the heart of it and said this works. And that if you go around being enough of a jack of all trades, people say, "I relate to that." Oh, he he makes coffee. He'll he'll make coffee. I make, I make coffee. He makes coffee. I'm a hairdresser. He's a hairdresser. He's so relatable. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, and then and then there is just this absolute um, promising promising electorate stuff area by area, um, in this way, which is not really kind of you know. I mean, obviously regional development's really important and that's always something I thought, but this isn't kind of coordinated. This is just going to seats um, that you know you you don't want to risk anything in. And it's kind of the same thing with Labour as well. Oh, Al- Albanese's got COVID, so he's not campaigning for at least a few days. That's, um, I mean, that's pretty expected probably for people such trying a, to campaign. Such a cunning plan on Morrison's part to, to let Omicron rip on, on Albanese to take out Take oh, out the fridge. There will be there will be a contingent of like absolutely cooked Australian like rusted on Labour Twitter. The kind yeah. of the kind of people who um you know when 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 Albanese does really disappointing stuff like saying you know we 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 will turn back the boats and then says no I'm sorry about my gaffe saying we'll turn back the boats. I also meant to say we will keep offshore detention if we can't turn back the boats <laughs> as well. Um, these people will be out in force saying that um, this is part of, you know, the, the, tough, the tough work of, of getting ready for government um, as if this is excusable and as if this hateful practice of keeping people offshore or stuck in hotels for years is in any way excusable. Um, so yeah, I'm sure those people that they're, they're kind of they're, they're kind of like the resist style um, yep. Hillary oh, Clinton supporters, if that makes any sense. It makes 100 percent sense, and I hate um, it. Like, no, you have to torture these people a little bit less. Like, do you support Trump? Do you do? You, are you criticizing this because you support Trump? And it's the same. Like, are you criticizing Albanese and the Australian Labor Party because you love Morrison and Morrison is giving you money and you want to kiss Morrison? Yeah, yeah, and all, all of which are true. Um, but oh, they no, should no. be. I, I should have also made that clear that I am being paid by Scott Morrison to to give this foreign correspondence yeah. presentation, but not because, because that, you want to do that without yeah. getting paid. Yeah, that point though about the kind of 
rusted on labor faction that you have and it's definitely active on social media on both sides of the Tasman but how much of that dynamic continues to play out even with the the preferential voting system and with you know um band making headlines in terms of um the the you know clap back we talked about it at the start is there any momentum behind sort of the um the greens or it's a great is... question um I, I i feel as if um labor greens antipathy here is really persistent and exhausting but perhaps i'm on twitter too much and it's not as bad out in the real world mm. um i get the sense that um it's really hard for them to make cut through another big factor is probably um rather than seats rather than surprising seats going from um the Liberal Party to um, the Labour Party with, like, you know, star performers that swing things, kind of like what we saw in the 2020 New Zealand election. There are all of these, um, you know, generally climate-minded independents um, who are likely to rest those seats away if it succeeds. Um, and that has left a lot of oxygen kind of starved for the Greens. So um, you have these people who don't have any kind of political baggage and have just decided they are concerned about climate and their local local electorate. And by and large, they are taking on Liberal Liberal Party contenders, including um, the Treasurer, um, Josh Frydenberg, here in Victoria. And is that coming from sort of a more Malcolm Turnbull kind of blue-green? It has a massive turnbull blue-green vibe. And it's generally happening in electorates which are of that kind of like nature. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, again, the best analogy or like most analogous seat for it in, in NZ. Um, I think it, it basically doesn't exist, which is why that any attempts to kind of um, create- Nelson is the one they say, a, right? Is it Nelson? Na- Nelson. Nelson Nelson's yeah. more like Byron Bay here, which um, I've heard suggestion that it could be a possible gain for the Greens. I mean, oh, how do you I had an instructive the... experience. Um, again, this is, I, I remember I met someone not long after I moved to uh, Melbourne and it was just after Turnbull had taken over the leadership and they were explaining to me that their sort of outer suburban, reasonably well-off parents were um, absolutely elated about Turnbull. Um, the reason being that they understood that Turnbull would preserve everything they liked about a certain form of kind of centre-right government. So hard on unions, probably tough locally on crime, um, and, you know, providing basic amenities and allowing people to um, keep more of their money through less tax, but that he would um, immediately close offshore offshore detention because he was a humanitarian. He would immediately take action on climate change um, because they were all buying Teslas as well. Um, <laughs> and he would immediately, um, you know, pass laws to action marriage equality. And as you might remember, under Turnbull, we had this, like, frankly, disgusting and grueling referendum where it was put to the general public whether or not people in that community should be able to marry who they want to which was kind of passed off as a great sort of victory for love. Um, but really it's, you know, it, it, sh- it should have never been, it, it should have never been put to the electorate like that for sustained and hateful campaigning. Um, mm. you know, you'll say one thing for John Key's government, at least um, in the end, they didn't make it life any harder for Louisa Wall's members bill to get through and actually just get passed as law. Mm. Yeah, it's that classic um, socially liberal, fiscally conservative um, mm. type vibe to kind of get embarrassed by the the kind of more feral parts. And, and, of and, the, and the now they have someone who is um, socially liberal, deeply passionately concerned about the climate, but who um, you know has probably never been a union member in their life. Um, like with a real sort of that they, they they probably have that sort of slightly. Um, Oh well, no, we don't really need them anymore. We don't work. We don't work down mine shafts anymore. Sort of workers' rights are solved. We're more of a ha- we're, we, you know we're a family here at you know see. Oh yeah, no, they, they have very much like we're a family at our business sort of vibes, which is interesting because if if ever you um you think about the people who had to keep going to work in person during these pandemics, 
um, nurses, aged care workers, cleaners, um, hospitality workers, and uh, how bloody tough it was for them and the importance of unions. Um, but the idea still is that unions are like, you know, it's, 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 it's like when um, James Gandolfini and Michael Imperioli's characters in The Sopranos kind of like stick up a labour side or something. They think it's a scary, corrupt old thing, maybe involving like Italian Australians or Italian Americans. Terrifying stuff. I, I want to um, get back to... Uh, some of the rhetoric that you'd, you'd indicated was, was coming out. Um, maybe this will be the last uh, topic we touch on in regards to kind of like strongman politics, uh, yeah. because I think we can't leave this, this podcast uh, without addressing the kind of across the board outrage, it feels like in Australia from here anyway, that the Solomon Islands would dare to um, engage with China in some kind of security pact. Uh, and it feels like it's maybe one of the first hot button issues uh, during the Australian campaign so far. Um, yeah, I think one of the first things I should note is you think about uh, RNZ Pacific and what a kind of a boon that is. Um, you know, like I, again, you, you don't want to say that it doesn't need more resourcing and that it's completely infallible. Um, but I feel like we have sustained in Aotearoa, New Zealand, a sense of kind of connectivity and understanding about um, what what life is like in, in Niue or or Tuvalu or Samoa or Tonga in a way that um, is not present here in Australian discourse. Um, you know, uh, basically, um, basically, like every serious person in the room, journalistic quote unquote engagement with the Pacific Islands, as long as I've lived here, um, has zero interest in um, in the existential risks they face from climate change and the challenges for their economy. Um, they need to protect themselves from COVID. Everything has already been always been written in a context of articles with this foreign policy cloak of China's red coconut palm, dare we leave the Pacific uh, unsupported? Um, so the, the only interest is through this prism of we need a strategic advantage over China um, viewed through these Orientalist ideas of, you know, the, the, the dragon clutching the taro. You know, these are not my words. This is just like that net kind of clunky way that um, foreign policy analysis try to cloak their metaphors. I'll clip that part um, so it does sound like you were just saying it. Yeah, just um, do, and I use it to just, advertise just the podcast. Um, there, there has been zero interest in being um, partners within the South Pacific. You know, you know uh, New, Zealand, New Zealand government's approach can be faulted, um, but there is a just colossal indifference from Australia into this howling of how can the Solomon Islands into security pact with China? Like who did this? How did this happen? Um, just like shrieking, how like dare a, they? Shrieking like a like your throat's been cut about it. And now, and and, and it creates this interesting thing because the the idea has always been that the Liberal Party and the coalition are you know, effective practitioners of real politics, and they will keep China in check by various commodity exchanges and so on and so forth. But they um, they can be trusted to kind of watch watch the back door from a defence perspective with a suggestion that the ALP are soft um, and the implication that they may also be red communists, much like the CCP. And now this stuff has been flipped on its head in that clearly the absolute financial and emotional indifference to the Pacific um, shown by Australia has been seized upon by China, who, to be very clear, I feel like all of these imperial powers are fundamentally exploitative in terms of how they do stuff. But they are, um, they've been caught short and they're panicking. And now there is suddenly a, a, a defence um, focus, um, apart from this idea of keeping yourself safe from desperate asylum seekers. And for, for, for ALP's part, it looks like they um, have dropped a bunch of substantive policy today. That yeah, I just saw from uh, Penny Wong um, yeah, was talking about right. uh, new and, aid amounts. And, and, and like, aid can obviously be politicised as well. 
Um, but you know, like I, I, I don't, I don't think that I don't think that Pacific governments are, you know, helplessly um, just waiting on the receiving end of whatever happens. If if they, you know, I think the Solomon Islands obviously know what they're doing. Um, we should grant countries the autonomy and nation states the autonomy to do this. I think these countries are perfectly entitled to parlay deals for support between between themselves. And I think aid rather than saber-rattling is probably more useful. Do you think it's going to go further than this then? Do you think it, it could come to uh, leave a greater mark on the campaign as maybe some of the, if the, if the Liberals um, feel like they're not really gaining ground, that they'll, they'll try and push some of this kind of idea that Labour is connected to China or, or et cetera? I think both both countries have the dif- sorry both parties have the difficulty, the same difficulty that both parties in New Zealand have in that um, they are reliant on on private donations and often these private donations will come to people from people who are alternately in or out of favour with the the foreign governance they are concealing their wealth from around the world. I, to be very clear, this isn't just a Chinese thing, but it seems like that really gets an emotive reaction. Um, you, know, you, you, you get very, um, people get apoplectic about you know, which um, Chinese emigre has given money to both Jacinda Ardern and the National Party while mm. not being anywhere as angry about Peter Thiel's citizenship. But the, uh, I think that may limit the sense of kind of you know, cl- cl- closeness, closeness to China, whether or not it is um, an invented suggestion that someone with Chinese nationality gave you money or whether um, it's someone who gave you money with Chinese nationality who remains on very good terms with the Chinese government, it will, will ultimately be a dirty war. Um, and that money is used by wealthy people to buy influence either way. Um, mm. And I don't think it's necessarily the fact that you know the, the Australian Labour Party or the Liberal National Coalition um, seek backdoor kind of warmer relations. Um, they're just desperate chuds that will take whoever can like sign checks that they can cash, um, mm. and in a more cynical sense, will do outreach to their local community in in outer suburban swing seats and try to try to bring them home for a particular party on the day. So, for all of the kind of geopolitical nous that these people like to express in terms of when they're considering security matters that they're open to whoever will give them money in a pretty sort of unsophisticated way. Fantastic. That's what you love from your uh, representative democracy. Yeah. And again, I, I, at the risk of sounding xenophobic, they will do that with people who have equal amounts of money situated squarely in Australia. So, And they will do it. And that, that, that kind of local extractive export-oriented industry you know you, you clive farmers and you what's the the woman who owns reinhardt. the mining yeah, reinhardt reinhardt, reinhardt given the, the you know the the integration of australia and and new zealand's economy um you know with with kind of um southeast asia and um china those relationships matter like they're mutually beneficial trade they, relationships they, they absolutely and do. fucking fucking with it is bad for business and don't fuck with the money Yeah, exactly. As you say, Rusty, there is this thing where um, the Australian based, the Australian born and raised um, billionaires will also clearly echo this dynamic of, you know, don't turn us into a, John Key's words, global hermit via via taking a a strong geopolitical perspective. Uh, I mean, Australia's alternative, as far as I could see, would be to truly throw its lot in with America. Um, which it already tries to do culturally, but I don't know about economically. No, no it's just not um, particularly feasible, uh, at least in this point in time. Hey, just uh, final, final um, I guess, words from you, Joe. What might we expect? Um, or are there any things that you are considering will, will pop up in the, in the last few weeks of the campaign that people should keep an eye out for? Uh, I mean, I'm more I'm more concerned about what will not pop up. It seems clear that we're not going to have a discussion about um, unemployment benefit rates um, and really sort of coercive work for the dole stuff in this country. Um, we are not going to have conversations about policing despite the appalling like rates of Aboriginal deaths in custody in every state or territory. 
Um, and we are probably not going to have a conversation, interestingly, about the process of like aggressive deportation of um, New Zealand nationals who have lived in Australia all their lives back to Australia. I think it's going to circle around the same sort of drain of pretty zero-sum stuff. Um, I imagine we, I, I saw Albanese from, from his kind of ivory zoom tower has promised that he will never implement a carbon tax as long as he is prime minister. Um, those of us who can remember oh. Ardern saying, I will never implement a CGT. It feels like a similar sort of thing. Um, so there will be a lot of talking about how um, chill you will be about climate change. Um, uh, there, there may be there may be sort of bombshells about kind of disgraceful conduct um, to to women staffers. Um, I think unfortunately there will be a lot more nasty kind of turf stuff thrown around during this election. What I do not see is the sort of I'm excited about this. I'm I feel really motivated to barrack for um, the opposition. Um, style stuff that we might have seen when you know Sanders briefly seemed like he might be in the ascendancy, hope against hope in 2020, um, or when you know people really had high hopes for Corbyn in 2019. Oh God, um, even even Kevin 07 or the Obama wave that kind well, well, of yeah, as and, disappointing and are, as it was as well, because I, I you know I work with a lot of people who were Kevin 07 aficionados. You know, there were pub chants. There was <laughs> there was a youthquake for Kevin Rudd. Um, who now looks like a kind of weird sort of red-nosed Santa figure who has an eternal grievance against him. He always was. Um, well, that's, uh, that's horrible. Um, What a bummer. I don't think, I think Australian politics can be very interesting. I think there may be a change in, in government this election. Um, I regret to say that there is not an exciting or or dramatic existential clash of ideas happening in any sort of way here that I can see. And sometimes that's that's just how politics is. Yeah. Um, so are you expecting uh, polls to stay relatively stable uh, with a Labour lead going into election day? Um, I I have no I have no idea. Um, you know, uh, someone someone would come out and say something absolutely disgraceful. Or something disgraceful could be revealed in the meantime. I don't think that much will move the needle. There are a lot of undecided voters. Um, I guess that could tilt things one way or the other. Um, I guess the the real sort of rogue thing is, you know, how much do One Nation and Clive Palmer's United Australia Party act as a spoiler in sort of certain swing electorates not the ones that independents will get but in certain ex-urban parts of queensland or new south wales yeah hey so fantastic to have you back on podcast chair always a pleasure perhaps we will hear about the post-mortem at some point soon <laughs> um, but a delight and thank you for all of the interesting questions about this and uh thanks for joining me as uh, co-host Rusty. no problem anytime and if people wanted to find you uh, and, and hear your astute observations uh, online, Joe, where could they do that? Uh, I, don't, I don't actually have anywhere with my name on it for them to do that anymore. Oh, are you off Twitter? Uh, planning to be. Oh, shit. All right. Well, um, I won't link to your Twitter in the bio unless you, you tell me otherwise. Many thanks. Um, this, is, this could be the only place that you hear the voice of, of Joe Numweek on politics. Uh, I going certainly forward. hope so. <laughs> all right hey thanks so much for listening everyone if you've enjoyed this give it a share like subscribe give us five stars on whatever podcasting app you're using uh those uh five star reviews and any uh words outlining how much you've enjoyed uh, our podcast uh, are very welcome and they help us gain the algorithms so please uh take a couple of seconds to do that for us that's been another midweek podcast for one of 200 we'll catch you next time relentless routines the dying embers of your dreams is a lie aspirational will you die keeping your glass half full the relentless routines the dying embers of your dreams is a lie aspirational Die keeping your glass on